Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. We have the pleasure of speaking with Lois Pace. She is Assistant Secretary for Global Affairs from the Department of Health and Human Services. Ms. Pace, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. That's good. Um, So what does... What does your department do uh, in global affairs at at HHS? So uh, a lot of people might not realize that our Department of Health and Human Services has this global arm. We do a lot domestically, obviously, as a large agency or department. But we have this global office really to think about the best ways to harness what people are doing around the world in a way that helps Americans here at home. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of exchanges that we do with countries around the world, a lot of ways that we're showing up in different dialogues with other governments who are dealing with some of the same issues. And it's really important, especially when we think about health disparities, the ways that we can be showing up in these other spaces and sure. again, learn those lessons. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of lessons that that uh, that we need to learn. I know you worked uh, on the, the COVID pandemic. Of course, it killed mm-hmm. over a million Americans, more than three million people worldwide. Uh, you worked on the Biden-Harris transition team, and, and that was your focus there. Mm-hmm. What did the pandemic teach us, particularly about how race impacts mm. health outcomes? Yes, like you said, we lost a lot of lives here domestically, and we lost a lot of lives worldwide. And unfortunately, yeah. a lot of those people were black and brown people all over the world. So that was the first lesson that many of us who are black and brown are still very much at risk, including indigenous communities. What we also knew, though, and saw and learned was how these very communities could come together to support and help one another. In that time of crisis, you saw the continent of Africa do quite well in the pandemic. It was so hard, of course, on many countries there, but there are many ways that their community-based programs and services, their health workers, you know, the people who um, are really showing up for each other were really there to say, okay, this is what we can do in this moment when no one else necessarily is going to be able to dive in and save us. Hmm. I, I would think that they learned a lot um, given some of the other pandemics that that they've dealt with, Ebola and and that sort of thing. That's right. Um, that they could apply when COVID came along. That's that's absolutely right. So you have, as you said, issues like um, Ebola, which was a real lesson for West Africa in particular, but Ebola has hit countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm-hmm. And what's really beautiful about this story is there are many ways that the U.S., including our office um, in the Department of Health, has worked with these African and other countries around the world to get to that point, to get to the point where they could say, okay, we have health workers who stand ready to respond either to Ebola or to COVID or to whatever comes next. Yeah. And that is my question. What What is coming next? Is, <laughs> is there another pandemic on the horizon? And and has the, the Biden administration followed the Obama blueprint and left instructions just in case? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, if I knew it was coming, then I would certainly be the first to tell you. Um, but the reality is we don't know what's coming next. And you're right, we have to be prepared. And yeah. what's great about the work that we have been doing out of our office is the ways that we have been trying to work with organizations like WHO or the World, world Health Organization, excuse me, and these other countries are, are all over the world to say, all right, 
what have we learned, right? What did we get right? There were many ways that things worked well. We exchanged information and data with countries real time. We did manage to get vaccines to countries all over the world. And we know that some of that felt it came later than it should have. And so we're even working towards saying, okay, the next time this happens, if it does happen, what can we have in place to be sure that we're building on these success stories, but also improving on ways that we might have fallen short? So what about messaging about about vaccines? I mean, there was a lot of misinformation. I remember being on the radio. Now, I'm I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. But I knew that if there was a virus, Mm -hmm. that viruses spread person to person and it doesn't care what you look like, where you come from, et cetera. It's looking for a human host. I had people calling me saying black people can't get it. Hmm. Well, look. I remember when I was in the COVID board and something that was really important to me were ways that we could get vaccines to people in this country and communities all over this country, but also ways that we could, when we came into these seats, give vaccines to people all over the world. Mm -hmm. So I know that there were a lot of people who were able to line up for this vaccine. And I was really happy that we were able to work with community leaders, faith leaders, political leaders to make that happen again, not just in the U.S., not just where I'm from in Los Angeles, for example, but Lagos. Joburg, you know, Barbados and elsewhere. So, uh, you know, again, as you're saying, there are, there are plenty of, of ways that we can say, ah, how could we have gotten that even more right than we did? And how can we ensure that people don't feel left behind? Because that's the that's something that hits me hard, having been a community leader myself, right? I didn't, I haven't been in government my whole career. This is my first time in government. And, okay. you know, when I'm doing this work, I really think back to the faces and voices with whom I've interacted over my 20 year career. And frankly, you know who I was and who my family has been in in this too. I think we all have these very personal experiences when it comes to COVID or anything else. Sure. So uh, then that gets to the vaccine hesitancy, Hmm. right? And it goes back to information Mm -hmm. and how information is disseminated and, and what people believe and, and how government can be more nimble. Mm -hmm. I didn't think, you know, as, as this thing was happening, well, you, you had another administration, they had a whole different approach, um, let's act like it's not real. But in, in terms of getting information to people mm-hmm. about the vaccines and their efficacy, you know, what what did you learn about that? We learned a few things. Honestly, we learned that messengers matter. And that's just tried and true public health. So who shows up to say what to whom is everything. And you have to work with trusted leaders, right? And and not just leaders in this very traditional sense, but, you know, anyone who's showing up with the right message and with the right heart to give that message is a person that I want to be working with. Mm-hmm. So that's thing one. Thing two is being really honest about what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really hard for a lot of public health professionals, a lot of people who pride themselves on being expert and frankly are looked to as experts. But I think in our most honest, effective moments, we could step back and say, goodness, there's there's a lot we're still trying to understand. Um, so what we do know right now is that this is working, right? Mm-hmm. And this is why we'd like you to move in this direction, you know, with these, with these protocols, with these other um, pieces of advice that we are offering people. And then we say, and we will come back to you if something changes, yeah. right? If we learn something new, we're just going to keep fighting for you. And that, that's why the vaccines are so important. We didn't have vaccines from the jump, right? Mm-hmm. But then as we had those and we could say, oh, wait, this is working, all right, we need y'all to line up and be sure that we are protecting ourselves with every tool in our toolbox. Well, I watched you. You came in with a mask on. That's I, number one. I did. So, you know, we, we in here all loosey-goosey, right? You came in with a mask on. I went to shake your hand. You shook my wrist. You was like, no, I'm not touching anybody's hands. 
So you are still, you still have some protocols that I you do. are personally. I do actually, because I, you know, and I, and I freely share this with people. So I'm, I consider myself a bit higher risk. I, I have people in my community who are higher risk. And so I'm very cautious yeah. with them and for them. And then that's the point, right? And I think that is the hard part of COVID and other parts of public health is when pe- we ask people to analyze the information for themselves to some degree and take the steps they feel they need to take. There's some people who feel comfortable, especially now that they're vaccinated, you know, to, to, to move freely. And I think that that's important and okay. And yeah. then there's others of us who, you know, need to be a bit more cautious or careful. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and we can coexist. That's the beauty of this too. Yeah. Now there was a large global vaccine study that just came out mm. that talked about um, people who uh, took the vaccine um, having small increases in neurological blood and heart related mm. conditions. Mm. Uh, are you familiar with that study? I'm not familiar with that study, okay. actually. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that, that came out and I did talk with, uh, uh some doctors about it. Mm-hmm. They said that it's, it's a small risk, but mm-hmm. the risk is there. Yeah. That's, it's important to keep gathering information on the effects of any vaccines, not just COVID vaccines. It's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why. We think in in my office and in this government, it is so important to continue working with World Health Organization, who is very closely tracking this. I mean, it's one of the greatest studies that we can have in public health, arguably, yeah. given everyone around the world was affected by COVID. And so we'll learn more and more. But, you know, it's, it's to be clear, the vaccines are still safe and effective based on the data that we have. And we'll continue to 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 operate um, with that in mind and, yeah. and again, continue to study what else we might want to learn from this experience. Cool. Well, let's talk about some stuff that's happening mm-hmm. internationally. So Israeli raids crippled the Gaza Strip's second largest hospital last week. Mm. It wasn't the first time. Yeah. The wars killed about 29,000 Palestinians, mostly civilians. Um, and Israel has repeatedly targeted hospitals. My question to you, what conversations is your department having with your international counterparts about the health crisis um, that this is creating and, and are we doing anything about it? Yeah. So I think the the president and hopefully the VP, um, you've heard talk about this. One thing that we're able to do in the Department of Health is work with other health secretaries or often called health ministers in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And we have been able to actually sit down with them and understand what we all could be doing collectively to really shine a light on what's happening to Palestinians right now or in other conflict zones. Um, The one role that I have been playing is I've been able to sit on the board of the World Health Organization. And there was a session the end of last year where the director general, Dr. Tedros, um, really implored people around that table to think critically about what's happening in in Gaza, um, but also in places like Ukraine, Ethiopia, Sudan, Haiti. I mean, conflicts are really causing a problem right. um, and, and increasing people's risk of poor health outcomes all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to acknowledge that. And I right. think as health leaders really show up um, for those people who are who are suffering under the weight of those conflicts. There's an African proverb, I think, that says, when elephants fight, the ground beneath them or the grass beneath them suffers. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we're seeing play out. And importantly, we can hold both, you know, we can acknowledge that the terrorism that led to this conflict is atrocious and that there are civilians yeah. who we need to help in this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned some of the other conflicts. Of course, the Democratic Republic of the Congo has had an ongoing conflict. Millions of yeah. people killed. We don't hear Mm-mm. 
anything about uh, that. We don't hear much about Sudan, uh, the other conflicts that you've mentioned. What what are the health effects of having these kinds of conflicts where millions of people are dying? Well, this is something I, I really appreciate you asking about because health is not just about, you know, the ways people are in and out of hospitals or clinics or, you know, we have to really address health in all these different contexts now. Yeah. And conflict in particular is causing so much. So if we look at the situation in Gaza, for example, there's food insecurity, there's a lack of access to clean and safe water and sanitation. Um, and then, of course, there's the mental health effects, right? I mean, we've spoken to uh, leaders from these countries who really ask, okay, well, we have a lot of trauma kits and we have, you know, we have medical professionals showing up to help, but what do we do psychologically for these people who are enduring this, not just for months, but for years? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to to deal with. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us sure. this morning. That's Lois Pace. She is Assistant Secretary for Global Affairs in the Department of Health and Human Services. Thanks so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 